really, really keen on this idea of underserved population. So this is a group of patients where they don't really get a good ride, where they either feel scared to come and see us or we don't really spend much time looking into them. And in fact, they're probably the ones that will require NHS support more in the future, so if we can target them. and welcome back to the Business of Healthcare podcast. I'm your host, Tara Humphrey. I run an award-winning healthcare consultancy specialising in supporting primary care networks. I'm a facilitator. I am a mum of three. I have an MBA and I would class myself as a bit of an adventurer. And I absolutely love all things business, all things leadership, all things management. So I created this podcast for clinical and non-clinical colleagues working in the field of health and care, and for those of you looking to develop your leadership skills. Every week we release an episode which focuses on the hard and soft skills required to lead in this increasingly complex environment as we move to delivering more integrated care. So let's jump into this week's episode. Lavin, thank you so much for joining me today on the Business of Healthcare podcast. How are you doing? Yeah, not too bad. Thank you very much. Well, so our paths crossed, like with many of my guests on social media, I've been following you for ages and you come across as very entrepreneurial and I just thought, I think our audience would really like to hear kind of your leadership journey and a little bit more about what you do. So could you share a little bit about yourself and what you're currently doing today? Thanks, Tara, and thank you so much for your kind words. It's always nice when uh, followers, after a period of time, um, you know, still supporting you, so you're hopefully doing something right, which is good. Yeah, I, I guess my journey, um, as you know, I'm a doctor. I'm actually a GP, as uh, so a general practitioner uh, in London, so based in South London. I'm very, very passionate about what I do. Dad was actually a GP, and still working. He's 70 now, so it's definitely in my blood. And I've always, you know, wanted to help the NHS. Always wanted to be a part of that. And my journey through the NHS has been wonderful. I've, I've, I've uh, enjoyed helping patients and it's been a real thrill of feeling every day I'm, I'm, I'm making a difference hopefully for these patients but also enjoying it at the same time and then I run two practices for the NHS um, both in South London one in Croydon uh, and one in Sutton and that obviously keeps me busy and keeps me going but like with all things in life after a while you tend to either want to change path or, or add further skills and just in the last few years, I've started taking more kind of leadership roles and roles with, with things like social media. So really taking on things like YouTube and, and Instagram and uh, just, just expanding a little bit. And, and I think for me, the most enjoyable part of all of this is a phenomenal networking. So meeting great people like you, Tara, and, and, and getting to know people and, and the contacts and the opportunities. And um, it's, it's been a real eye opener for me because I always thought I'd be the GP, the grassroots GP, patient in patient now for the rest of my life. But now meeting people and and this kind of strategy behind making a bigger impact um, by certain decisions um, has been really enjoyable. So, so yeah, it's been a great journey so far. So I want to talk to you about personal branding. To me, you have got a strong personal brand and you mentioned that you, you enjoy your job and that definitely comes across. So it definitely looks like you're having fun. Um, you provide educational content. Is the use of social media, or was it at the beginning, a strategic move, or did you just think, I'll just try it? 
So I have to be honest, again, not to keep talking about dad, but uh, dad, dad in the 90s, actually, for kind of the Sri Lankan Asian population, was doing newspapers, radio and, and uh, cable TV, actually, about education. And I saw the impact it, it can have. Um, and so I always had it in the back of my mind. And then when I saw what was going on on, on YouTube and, and certain channels, I felt the day-to-day -day that I was doing and, and speaking almost in layman terms, I think, you know, I'm not the greatest doctor, but I think the credit I used to get from patients and family was I had the capability of breaking things down on, on a really basic level. So, so explain to kids or say, for example, it's a cancer and family members or friends need to know. I think I try to be as optimistic as I can within reasonable limits. And so I, I felt I had something there. So I don't think it was strategic. I think it naturally did come. However, now that it's uh, you know doing relatively well with, with things like Instagram and, and, and um, YouTube, I'm finding now actually the strategy is now coming there where you can really utilize it. And again, not for any monetary reasons particularly, but mainly for the, the context and the opportunities I'm getting. I mean, now, um, and I, I would encourage this with, with, with all of your followers, that when you do these um, opportunities on social media, then networking and the potential, whether it's financial, whether it's for job satisfaction, whether it's just meeting great people and, and hearing ideas, you, you massively see an upskill in that. And, and I've seen, you know, in the last probably month or two, possibly daily, if not every couple of days, something in my you know, direct messaging, something in my email of another opportunity, or can you take part in this app, or we'd really like your advice on this. I'm not amazing in any way. I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a GP by trade. I love my job. That's, that's the skill I have. But people do relate to that and see that as, a, oh, that passion, maybe that could be utilized in another avenue. And that's what but you know you need to show and, and the networking allows for that are you nervous do you like the limelight so i, I you know I, as you may see from some of my youtube stuff i did used to like a bit of break dancing and i <laughs> I, I, I won't say i'm a nervous chap but with anything you know if you if you're passionate about a subject i think you can never really be nervous or scared yes you need a little bit of nervousness you need a little bit of anxiety i mean as lovely as you are, Tara, yes, I still want to prepare today and kind of run through things in my head of how I'm going to compose myself. So it still happens, even if you're the nicest um, person that I'm going to be interviewed by. However, that is, should be a, a positive. And then from there, I always know any question you're going to ask about my personal life or my work life, because I'm so passionate and I love it, I should be able to pass that on to you without kind of umming, ahhing or being nervous about it. So I think it's how comfortable you are in what you're talking about and what you're doing. I agree. How are you the partner at two practices and those practices are not next door to each other? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Team, I guess teamwork is the main thing. Also having a sense of, of calm in yourself. You need to accept that every day what you're doing is a good thing. You know, when I wake up and going to work, I'm there to help people. So whatever I do, however, how much I try, as long as I try and by the end of it, I've done something, I'm, I'm satisfied with it. Remember, with, with partnerships and practice of growing a business all day, if you were, if, for me, someone like me who gets quite bored quite easily, if I was doing the same practice every day, four to five days in that week, I would actually probably give up general practice because I think if, you, if you're passionate like a lot of us general practitioners and give it your all with those patients, sadly, as lovely as, as the patients are, they tend to gravitate to you and hold you. So there are patients that they, they just won't leave you. That you know, even if you tell them, I'll, I'll speak to you next week. No, I need to speak to Dr. Bascom today. And, and and we bend over and, and we help them. And I could not do that every single day in one place. Now, the beauty about splitting my time, having it in two places, is 
there's an acceptance, almost like a boundary setting, which says, Dr. Bastian's not here on these days, he's gonna be back next week. And it teaches the patient, okay, I need to manage this till next week. Now, if it's an urgent thing, my colleagues who I have a wonderful team on both sides, and that includes the manager as well as my partners, can pick up any slack that that requires. But actually, most of these patients, they, they know where the boundaries are. They're happy to wait for me when I'm next back in. And then I, I end up sorting out those issues. And it works well for, for both sides. And, and the beauty about it, it just gives that little bit of a breather. You know, some days at one of the practices, you know, I could be a marriage counsellor one day. I could be dealing with suicide the next day. I could be dealing with child cutting themselves the day after that. And, and remember that 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 energy that patients pass on to us as doctors can and can really affect us um, and so having that kind of breather in a different environment different place different staff different patients has actually come to a benefit for me but i do think it's a mindset um, no disrespect to some of my colleagues but knowing some of them i don't think that kind of i leave it at the door here and go to another practice would work i think it's a mindset that you need to train yourself to do how long have you been a partner at both of them so 2013, I became a partner at James O'Reid, and that was in Sutton. And 2016, uh, when my son was born, is when I took on partnership at the second practice. So since 2016, so five, five years. And what do you think you bring to the partnership? Why did they want you? <laughs> I have to be honest, I think it's the casual approach. Now, we probably really shouldn't be talking about death cancers in a casual way, but it's that... Do, doing having that idea of doing the best you can so when you have this kind of carnage day or on some day it's about not panicking it's we are good people we're here to do a good service whatever i do today i should be proud and happy and the patients also will be proud and happy with what we do so this worry about oh my god there's 100 patients to clear what are we going to do are we going to get home in time if you accept look this is going to be a busy day today I'm going to try and make do the best I can. I may not have a break. I may not have lunch, or I may have to fit in a bit later, but I need to do it in a day where I can compensate myself so I can put myself in different places. It can be done. And I think that's why they, they, they needed a level of calmness that I would bring. And also, sadly, in, in this world, when there's so much pressure, to be a good doctor, you have to be good, a good person, a nice person. I think sometimes when doctors are so stressed, it can come across quite short, quite angry, and, and not that, that almost like you don't care. But I don't think that's the, the majority of the case. I think the majority of wonderful people, sadly, the stress is affecting them. Now, even if the day is rubbish, I will still try and put a smile. I will still be there to support my staff. And I think as a leader in, in some way, you need to be able to get down to that basic level and still say almost to the troops, guys, no matter how bad the day is going, we're going to get through this together. If that means buying pizza at lunchtime, buying Coke and having a bit of a break in that time, it's important for them to see that. And also that you are working on. I mean, a lot of my staff, I think they feel sorry for me because they kind of come and go, oh, I'm loving your, your work. And then they feel inspired. Well, I need to pull, poor thing. He's working out. I've got to work out. And even today, I said, look, it's been a deflating morning. It's been, you know, I had 70 calls this morning. So I just cleared all 70. And they're like, love him. Are you, are you okay? Are you? And, and then they're now working extremely hard to try and make sure this afternoon is manageable for me. So I think it works both ways of, of, of being a leader, of rising to the top, but also supporting them at the, at the bottom. Have you ever been in an scenario where your colleagues feel like they're working really hard and then they browse on social and you're doing a story living you know loving life <laughs> yeah yeah that, that can be tricky and then 
we have to be mindful of that. I mean, you know, things got very hard with work in the, in the last couple of months. And, and I have to be honest and say, I, I took a couple of weeks off for holidays. I went to Greece on both occasions. I, I was I was missing my kids because they are the biggest inspiration to me. I don't do my work if it wasn't for them. If it meant it affects my, uh, my kids' time, I will give up both practices in a blink of an eye. So for me, I was feeling that, oh, I'm not seeing them as much. I'm not doing the pickups. I'm not dropping them off. Right, I need to take that week off. So I took the week off, went to Greece, and I would never post that stuff on social media. I, I do post stuff about history, and if you notice some of my posts on Friday uh, about beautiful places I've been, but more to teach people about history, culture, religion, and, you know, stopping the ignorance and, and, and building kind of bridges between us. But I, I wouldn't I wouldn't do this thing of kind of, oh, yeah, you know, I'm here, sun's shining. And that's a personal preference. Everyone can do what they need. But I know with my poor staff, you know, the NHS, as wonderful as it is, it doesn't pay my staff enough. I do everything I can to pay them appropriately and, and, and under guidance, but they work so hard and it's not fair for me to do that. Now, with it, when it comes to the social media stuff, a lot of, I think, 98% of it is actually old content regarding kind of teaching and then trying to expand the mind, um, even small facts. So in that sense, they are so supportive and any opportunity, I mean, just this week, we won the gold award for the LGBTQ, oh, um, that's practice, which is really good. And we got top marks, which was phenomenal as well. So we, we got to, and then, so that wasn't me, that was my whole team. So everyone's really proud of that. That was a joint effort. Um, and I'm going to post that obviously today on Instagram to tell people and not to show off, but I want other practices all across the country to do this award because it's just one tick box in that thing where that community, we can just try to look after them a little bit better. And then, you know, my next project is, is about ethnic diversity. And I want to now start, start tackling that using what I've learned and the templates that we've used for the LGBTQ community. So tell us more about that gold award. What does it mean? What did you do? Absolutely. So the, the issue at the moment we're finding in, in, with, with the LGBTQ community, especially the trans population, is they don't feel comfortable seeing us as doctors, whether that's in the hospital or in general practice. We are not making our doors more, more welcoming. And I can completely see that. And as a result, their, their kind of uh, issues with health. So, you know, suicide risks are much higher. Mental health is bigger. Picking up cancers is much lower in their group. Hypertension, diabetes is, is bigger. And, and this is similar in some ethnic groups or some Afro-Caribbeans and Asian groups where if they don't feel comfortable talking to their GP, they're in that same kind of category. So with the Pride in Practice, it's a wonderful opportunity with guidance and teaching is where it's, an, it's now a chat or almost our tutorial with every staff member in the practice about what are these meanings? I mean, gender fluid, if you asked me three months ago, what is gender fluid? What is queer? What is the actual definition? Is it offensive to call someone trans? I didn't know all of this a few months ago, but the beauty about this is someone will explain that so you don't feel uncomfortable because I still believe that when a practice isn't so-called friendly, I don't think it's because they're evil people. I just think they get a bit nervous about, well, I don't want to upset that person. Is it he, she, them? These pronouns are so important, but ha no one's been trained or taught. So the great opportunity is it's, a t it's an opportunity to just talk freely. You know, the prejudice, it may come across prejudice, but it's not. It's actually, I don't know what to do or what to say with this person. And then after that, it's about changing the setup. So when they come in to the front door, is there an area where it's just a little bit more welcoming? Is there, you know, a small mention of, oh, look, if you are from this community, you know, we have these sessions that's across 
of the area because actually they are getting, you know, especially in our area of Sutton, there was three quite significant violent attacks. And so is there a safe haven place for them to meet? Is there hate crime numbers? And also with the registration, people get very intimidated. The registration form is very binary, like male, female, and nothing else. Or it's not even opening up to any kind of consideration of, oh, my previous name on the NHS was this. The first thing that a staff member will say is, well, if the NHS name says that, that's it. That's actually not true. Legally, that's not true. Uh, and even some of the, the, the kind of guidelines in regards to law, and these are not lots of law things. These are just a couple of law things we get taught. And then by the end of the kind of period of a, of a one month kind of back and forth, you produce all of your leaflets, all of your kind of forms when a patient signs up. So it's very friendly. Um, and then you get a sign up, they assess you and say, wow, you guys are great. Uh, and that's why when we got full marks, I, I wasn't expecting that. Gold would have been lovely. But to get full marks just meant for them it was perfection. We got all the tick boxes. And I want to share that. So if, if anyone's interested, I will give all of our information because I'm not here to, to hide it. I want every practice in the country potentially just to be a little bit more caring, just to be a little bit more compassionate to, to this population. That's fantastic. It's just it just reminded me because when I first reached out to you we've got quite a lot in common because I was like my daughter's type 1 diabetic one of my daughters has got lymphotic syndrome it's like quite a weird thing to bond over you were like oh my god so could you <laughs> so could you share some of your special interests absolutely yeah so my, when I first started it was really all around ENT ear nose and throat um, and it was always very medical so ear nose and throat diabetes and minor surgery were my key ones so I love cutting things out love putting steroid injections in, love diabetes is a massive thing and it's, it's going to blow up over the next few years because it's linked to so many parts of the body, the kidney, the heart. So it's a really exciting place. And in fact, I was in Birmingham for the last two days for this wonderful conference, which was where they picked 20 of us across the country to kind of really game change diabetes um, across the country. So uh, th- those were like my main medical interests. Now, as time goes on, you start to see populations. And I'm really, really keen on this idea of underserved population. So this is a group of patients where they don't really get a good ride, where they either feel scared to come and see us, or we don't really spend much time looking into them. And in fact, they're probably the ones that will require NHS support more in the future, so if we can target them. So the LGBT community, like we discussed just now, especially the trans community, and, and that's why we set up um, the first trans clinic in this area and trying to do very you know, forward-thinking things that other practices wouldn't do in the country. And now we're kind of trying to focusing on, on mental health and kids because I have a real big problem with when kids come to see us harming themselves or having ADHD and not being managed because sadly the services or the finances aren't there for that. So now my next project is with ADHD children and how we're really meant to be keeping a close eye on them, but sadly in primary care we don't. So ADHD and and the trans population is what I'm interested in. And with the trans stuff, I've I've tried to fit in, which is just about working out a diploma in uh, transgender studies, which is happening at the University of London, which has been really, really interesting. So this is a question which usually gets directed at mums. If I had a pound for every time they said, how do you do it? How do you do it? How do you juggle? So you're doing a diploma, two practice, you're an entrepreneur, two practices, social media. You're a CD, clinical director. So how do you do it? I think, again, it's teamwork. So my team members, my partners, my staff know this is what I love. This is the buzz I get out of it. So there are bits in the practice like the finances or solicitors regarding the building or the day-to-day manager of the practice that my other partners enjoy. 
but they don't quite like going to kind of the meetings and, and, and talking or setting up these clinics. So they know Lovin's good at this, let him crack on. I love this, I'm gonna do this. And we all have our own. So you've got to find team members that are okay and all support it. If my team, team members thought, oh, Lovin's just going off and gallivanting and on social media, that would upset me and I'd stop. So there needs to be appreciation that if things get too far, you need to reflect and think, no, no, I need to come back to the practice and do a bit more practice work. But the other thing is trying, and I've learned this only in the last year, is trying to do projects and things that you love, so put that as a priority, but can affect change in many places. So for example, the trans, let's take the trans clinic, for example. It's something I love, something I'm passionate about. I've seen the impact it makes for patients. So selfishly, and I'll say selfishly, I get a buzz, I get a kick out of it because I've seen the impact. Those patients, I've had patients on the phone, tearful, just saying, thank you so much for setting this clinic up. It's a place where we can come every Thursday. I want to tell my friends, family, can they come from East London and North London? Bring them down, it's fine. You know, we're here to accommodate. So I get such a wonderful buzz and a happy feeling from that. So my personal cycle is sorted. Then with the CD world, clinical director, actually, where can we make this into a bigger place? Can we do this all across Croydon? Okay, great. We can do that from there. Actually, my other practice, we haven't got the gold award. So actually, from the learning from here, can we bring it? And so when you start linking it together, it actually becomes a lot easier because it's kind of like one project or one thing, but it can apply to many things. Uh, and then you, you almost sit back and watch and watch this kind of almost happy kind of cloud go over everything where suddenly you're making such a massive impact from one simple conversation with one, say, physician associate you had a year ago, and all of a sudden Croydon, Sutton, the whole of your PCN in Croydon, the, the you know Liberal Democrat Party who are picked on to this trans clinic are writing about it. It goes on social media. It helps that. Then someone contacts me through social media saying, Love, and can we do a project on this? Then Tara gets in touch. I really want to hear it. And suddenly it becomes this really lovely thing from one simple idea, but it's all linked. That's the key. How do your colleagues communicate with you? So I want to get hold of you. How do I do that? My, my, my mobile number is with everyone. Email for colleagues who, who do kind of business work related things. Um, I pick up for everything. I, I always feel if I don't pick up, or don't email back immediately. I like to think Tara with you as well. I email back straight away. It's a wasted or lost opportunity. It can wear you down at times. Sometimes when you're on holiday, it can be quite edgy and you're going to have to set boundaries. So when I'm on holiday, there are patients who through social media do contact me. And these are patients that I know. And I've had to set boundaries because it's not fair for them to do that. So I would say, look, I'm just on holiday with the kids. I need to sort this out for you, but please can we catch up? And they completely respect and they're very apologetic. So do set boundaries when you're away. On holiday, nothing. You know, do do focus on the children. But when I'm here, when I'm en- when I enter the building, three things going on. The emails are up, mobile phones available, and I will take every opportunity, even if it means someone getting through to Instagram saying, Lovin, we're creating this app. It's about mindfulness. We want you to be a part of it. Yes, I'm there. When's the date? Can we sort out a Zoom meeting? I'm speechless. <laughs> I'm thinking, Tara, pull your finger out. What about your <laughs> What about your partner? You're married? I'm married. I'm married a mother of my lovely wife. She's she's actually GP salaried. So she does two days a week. So we're very fortunate and that's important. Family support. Mum looks after the kids on a Monday, mother in law on the Friday, so she can work. The other three days, um, she's a phenomenal mother. So she's and, and she's you know far more cleverer than me. She's she can do much better things than I can. I just have a better way of talking, I think. But but she's, you know, she's just finding her feet of what she wants to do in the future because it's it's quite daunting this time in general practice. We're all struggling quite a lot. And, and these kind of projects, because I've been established, 
I'm already kind of on a stepping stone and I can pick things up. But as you're working your way up in, in this time, it's quite difficult to find your niche. Um, but, but yeah, she, she works part time as well. So it is a pleasure to be bringing the Business of Healthcare podcast in partnership with DKMS UK. DKMS are a blood cancer charity on a mission to find a blood stem cell match for everyone who needs it. I am proud to share that I am an ambassador for DKMS UK and my particular interest in partnering with them is that as it stands, fewer than 3% of patients from a black or mixed ethnic background are on the stem cell blood registry. We need more people to sign up to the registry and more people to spread the message. So I hope you will join me in doing so. To sign up to the registry, please visit www.dkms.org.uk to get involved. So when we first spoke, you did say you did take a period of time off. So can you talk to us about that? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I'm I probably, for this time we've been talking, 20 minutes been going about how great life is in the world, and you probably think nothing happens to this guy, that that's why it all works out. But, you know, I, I've had very difficult times and, you know, family cancers, and when I mean family, I mean immediate family members, you know, very close relatives of mine, where sadly your, your job as a doctor, unfortunately, steps in there. You want to be the family member, but people do gravitate to you because you know, theoretically you've helped so many friends and family out as well as patients. So they feel the comfort of what does love and think, what does love and think. And so, you know, and you to end up going to, you know, so many of your relatives appointments, they're like, we need love in there because he can, you know, explain it to us better. And, and I've had some very sad things over the last couple of years where kind of immediately being sent over to Amy to find out family members have got brain tumors or breast cancers or ovarian cancers. And that's been really tough. Um, so family health, and, and this is where the, the issue comes is, when you're balancing so many things, things can be wonderful and amazing. You can just teeter things perfectly. But the moment something significant happens in your life, whether that's business partners falling out or partnerships not working out or really difficult pressures with employees where you dedicate your time and life to them and then they turn around and, and you always think, oh, look, if you're good to everyone, if you're really nice to people, if you're really respectful, nothing can ever happen to love and nothing. But actually, it's strange. Even if you try to be as nice... The day you let down a patient, they can turn on you. Um, the day a family member or friend you've kind of dedicated all your time, they can turn on you. It's just the way the world works. Is, and so when these things happen, when you're balancing so many, when things go a bit too far and something significant happens, it can, it can almost break you. And I had an incident, yeah, in, in near August time where so much was going on. And a few incidents happened with work, with, with colleagues. And I really, I just reflected and I thought, this is impacting my kids. And like I said at the start, if it impacts my kids the way I am with them, you know, if I'm raising my voice or if I'm getting a bit stressed with them, that's not good. I don't want them to know me, uh, you know, remember me at any point like that. So I thought, you know what, I, I'm feeling, and, and then it starts impacting other parts of your work because you come into work and you think, I'm not enjoying work because this ongoing thing in the background is there. And I did a kind of a day off here, day off there, but that doesn't change things. So I thought, you know what, I'm going to do something quite dramatic. I don't want to take sick leave because I've never taken a day off sick in my whole time working for the NHS. Whether I'm sick or not, I'll be there. With COVID, it would be different, obviously. But even then, I think I'll still be doing telephones at home. But I've, I've, I've had it in my mind, like Dad, I don't want to take a sick day off. So I'm going to take one month unpaid leave which puts the pressure on you because you feel I'm not going to just mess around at home and sleep for, for the month. So I put that pressure on myself. That mortgage is going to be tight this month, but I'm okay to accept that. But it was a wonderful experience. You know, it was kind of meditation in the morning, going to the gym every single day, 
booking courses, hence why I booked the, the trans course. And then I booked an ADHD course with the Maudsley at King's for next year. All of the admin stuff that I've chased up and even simple things like mortgages, getting that mortgage right again. I've been paying stupid, you know, ridiculous amounts of mortgage money without realizing that. And, and family time, you know, I ended it with a family trip with, with my family, my mum, dad, sister, her kids, my family. And it was great. I came back on fire and, and, and they really missed me, I think. And, and that was lovely to come back and be like, loving, you know, we're so glad you're back. And then that depends that I'm still wanted here. I'm still needed. And I think once in a while, sadly, when things get too difficult, you need to grab it and just say, I need to move away from this completely. None of this, I'm going to take a day off or a weekend off or a week off. Sometimes you really got to say, I need a, I need a real good reflection period. And I took that reflection time and I would recommend it to anyone. And these are people who are entrepreneurial, who are doing well in business, money, patience. Do a time off because I think genuinely you could increase your income if you're financially driven in that sense. I think you can increase your happiness if happiness is your driver. Or like me, project work, it will increase your availability networking skill by having that refresh. And I found after August, the opportunities now, like literally every week this, I've got to cancel this day and book a meeting here because this is going to be something really massive we're going to do, um, uh, you know, even if it's charity based or, or not. How can you manage your time so then you don't need a month off? Exactly. So that, that's the tricky bit. <laughs> I think that's where you need to accept where your balance is. So my thinking is if I do a million things and if I have to take a month off every year or a month off every two years, that's the way I can manage myself because I almost feel what I can achieve in a year if I was given that opportunity would take some people two years or three years. And my colleagues tell me that all the time. But there are other people who would say, no, no, I'd like to pace myself over three to four years and probably take a couple of weeks off every so often. But I think it depends on the type of person you are. I don't. I think the pace I'm going at, as busy as it sounds, is it makes me happy. I think if I didn't have the five things going on at once, I wouldn't be satisfied. I would feel, oh, well, what's the next thing I should do? Um, so so I, I like this way of doing it. I think you just have to be mindful if you're in my kind of mindset that, you know, the, the world isn't perfect and, and things don't always work out and just have a little bit of an option. I, mean, I was fortunate that, you know, and the NHS does pay me well for me to be allowed to take that one month off. If you're in that difficult position, don't allow yourself to be in that position or do have almost like a side hustle where you know that in that month or two weeks that you take off, there's some form of income to keep things going for you. Um, but but the break is, is I, I can't stress it enough, um, you know, stress at the moment with all the data, and this is scientific data, increases your risk of cancer, increases your risk of obesity, increases your risk of diabetes, cardiovascular risk and heart attacks. And, and that's stress. That's not the cholesterol we're talking about. That's not anything else. So really do take time to look after yourself and you'll be a better version of yourself if you have that time to reflect. So you strike me as somebody that's really good at persuading people to do things that initially they're thinking, I don't really want to do. <laughs> so what are your top tips on motivating your colleagues to do all these amazing things when they are not of the same mindset as you? Absolutely. I think you have to be you have to be a complete open book. I mean, I tell my medical students, if you want to ask me how much I earn in a day, how much I earn in a month, what my mortgage is, what my married life is, ask me. I want I, I want people to learn off each other. I know in some cases you can't always be too open, but I think you know when people see the humility and 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 the honesty of someone, 
that there's an engagement that there's almost like a closeness that wow that person's willing to do that for the benefit to me so you know when i used to ask about gps and consultants how much they earn you may ask love and why would you be asking them because this is a vocation it's not about money but but actually you, know, you need to live day to day you need to bring up a family so money is actually quite important at least to know because it may just slightly skew things or you may say no this is what i want to do but i need to kind of do a bit of this as well to keep finances going so i always say to everyone it can be done it may not be done at the same pace. It may be done even quicker than me, to be fair. But I think if you're open and, and allow people to learn, there's so many opportunities up until this point, even with social media, where people weren't willing to kind of share experiences and kind of help people. I don't know if it was like a competition thing. So you kind of have to figure it out on your own. And I think, you know, for me, if people are interested in how we did, you know, kind of YouTube, but for me, it was always, I wanted to hit 1,000 subscribers. And then I knew... I'm relevant. I may not, I'm not hitting the 10,000, 100,000 subscribers, but for me, just for my own peace of mind, not for any monetization, I just wanted to feel, oh, I've achieved something, a thousand subscribers on YouTube, an international stage, basically. That's good for me. And I remember we, we got like half a million views, I think, a couple of months ago. That was the number. And I was like, wow, half a million people have bothered to watch me for some nonsense about some medical thing. I was so <laughs> proud of that. And, and, you know, I didn't that's get any amazing. So that's amazing. <laughs> Thank you so much. Uh, but I don't, I, you know, I don't, it's not monetized. I don't get money for it. But that in that in itself for me, I'm so proud of. And and what's interesting is when you mention that, someone hears that and says, oh, he's relevant. Therefore, maybe we should get him on this charity to do this. And then it opens another door. It's, it's really interesting how, how these things work. So, yes, I, I, I think with all of this, when, when it's people asking you, how, how did you end? What would you tell that person to not mind? But I would, I would say, learn off people. And, and I've learned off, you know, Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk, not personally, obviously, but you read what they do and this kind of waking up in the morning. It was one thing that I always used to wake up at seven, eight, drop the kids, go to work. And then I start to wake up at six, five thirty now to hit the gym three times a week if I can. And it's it's magic. It, it really is. And then staff will come to you going, love, and you went to the gym today, you're on fire. You knocked out those 50 patients <laughs> for that. Whereas on other days, they'll know that love and you need to get to the gym today. And um, again, I'm, I'm, you know, there's no point me preaching about, you know, lower your cholesterol by doing it if you don't live it. So everything I tell people about the trans stuff, the, the ethnic stuff, you've got to live it, breathe it, do it. So when you tell that person you can do it, or if it's not that, find your passion and, and use the same template I use. Wake up, meditate, drink your water, go to the gym, go in, do your work financially because you need the money, fit in a project at lunchtime or a meeting about that, Go and do your afternoon surgery. Be back on time for your kids. Do the bath time, sleep time, because actually that afternoon, that's quite important. So make sure you clear the decks, whatever's done. And if things you feel have to be left, do the priorities, do the cancel rules, cancel two-week rules referrals today, because that can't wait. But if it's a few blood tests that just need a bit of looking at, do it the next day. Have the strength to do that because you need to be home for your kids because that, if, if that is something you love, because if I don't see my kids on that day or I don't bath them or sleep or read to them, that affects my next day. So I need to know what is important and prioritise those. I feel like I'm just going to listen to this over and over and over again. Love it. Number one productivity tip. Number one productivity tip. Do something that's pas- that you're most passionate about. And with that passion, it can apply to all areas. So um, at the moment, my biggest driver now is where we're trying to 
it's it's brave. It's, it's it's stupidly brave, in fact. But we're having a meeting next week. Um, but Play Play Action International, uh, Playground, uh, a group that build playgrounds in Africa, I'm meeting with them next week. And we built one in Uganda. This was a couple of years ago. And hands down, despite my practices, despite the people I've helped, despite the trans clinic, the greatest thing for me personally, the most fulfilling thing I've ever done in my life, is build that playground in Uganda, which was for a, a mental health hospital for kids. And there was a lovely playground, really simple. We built it in five days. And still to this day, nothing comes near it. And I thought, I'm going to be 40 next October. I want to go, I want to do something massive. So I thought, let's build it in Kenya. It hasn't been done before. They do Uganda. So we were just about to do that. And then Amiru, who's the CEO, was like, Lovin, I know you're a crazy guy. I know you like to do 50 things. How about this? We build a factory that will forever build play playgrounds in Kenya. And I was like, wow, that is pretty impressive. That is quite a legacy to, to do as my 40th. So I said, you know what? Not, not, and I emailed with her within a minute. I said, I'm on a busy day. I don't want to miss this opportunity. Yes, yes, yes. We'll figure out how we're going to do this and how we're going to raise the money and do it. So before October next year, we are hopefully going to build uh, in, in one part of West, uh, West Kenya, a factory that will start churning out the materials to produce playgrounds all across Kenya, which will be amazing, I, I think. <laughs> I love the fact that I said to you, what is your number one productivity tip? You're like, do something passionate build playgrounds in Uganda <laughs> I was thinking you know I bought an iPad <laughs> what is your weakness saying yes to everything and everyone and, and on a serious note it can really drain you and I've, I've learned to you know I've, I've tried to learn to say no and then I've said no and then 10 minutes later said yes to it but you, you do this is where the difficulty comes especially with you know family you say oh you know call me if you need anything, if anything happens and, and, and they, someone gets sick and, you know, can you come to the hospital now? And you're like, oh, but it's two in the morning and you're not really that close to me as a family member, but I kind of feel like I have to do because I've kind of, you know, so because, that, you know, it's a buzz to help someone. I mean, and I think that's why I, I love what I do because every single interaction, you know, I, I hope it, in, in this Tara, that if, if there's one nugget that comes that helps someone to do a project even that they're passionate about, that is lovely if I ever heard back from that. And, and you do get these, you know, even with things like Instagram, the, why, the reason I love it, and I haven't had any negativity, which I'm so grateful for, because that would break me if I did. But some of the DMs people write, oh, you know, because of this, I've done this. And, and you think, gosh, that, you know, what that I don't need money for this. This is it's yeah. so, so lovely to get. So I think my biggest weakness is, is just saying you're, you're, yes and, and accepting every project, whether that's paid or not paid. And what you realise is when you get to a certain level, your time is valuable. And actually, you know, if, if it's starting to affect uh, important things and you're just doing things for the sake of it, it's not good. So do find a balance of where you can say no. But remembering that every potential yes could be an opportunity. So just because it's not monetized, just because you're not getting money for it, that project could actually lead to something that leads is very big and, and fulfilling inside, if not monetized. Lavan, if people want to connect with you on social media, where... What's your handle? Where's your favourite place to hang out? Um, I think Instagram is becoming the cool, fun place. Um, I'm really proud of the page. 
we've created because it's kind of like we do like a fact a week we do like a video a week we do like a, a friday kind of history political thing a week and so instagram so at dr lavin so d-o-c-t-o-r-l-a-v-a-n is the place youtube was always my first that was like you know i wanted to make that the big one but instagram's becoming cool and and friendly and and really nice people i'm meeting some lovely you know fitness trainer osteopaths people like yourself tara really cool people um, and i i class everyone as friends you know you're good people you're, you're kind to me you're respectful you're far too complimentary to me and and i hope i can reciprocate that so uh, yeah instagram is the place <laughs> oh i want you to be my friend <laughs> you are you're definitely, you're definitely friends, uh, thank you so much i really appreciate your time so much for joining us if you like what you hear i would absolutely love it if you left us an itunes rating and five star review i know many of you give us a shout out on social media which is lovely to see you guys listening to the podcast so please come and find us on twitter at thc primary care on instagram at thc primary care and on linkedin just look for tara humphrey and if you're not subscribed to our newsletter please do it's really really funny you get to hear more insights more confessions some tips and tools and a roundup of our activity over the week so click on join the newsletter in the show notes and I will see you in the next episode.